Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio from Boise, Idaho. This is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. Our listener support campaign continues. And you can become one of our ongoing Patreon supporters for as little as $2 per month. And I want to welcome Janet aboard as our latest Patreon supporter at the Shamus level of $4 or more per month. Again, thank you so much for your support, Janet. You can also mail a donation to Adam Graham, P.O. Box 15913, that's P.O. Box 15913, Boise, Idaho 83715. Now it's time for the conclusion of this week's Yours Truly Johnny Dollar Serial. The original air dates, April 18th, 19th, and 20th, 1956. And it is The Shepherd Matter, Episodes 3, 4, and 5. From Hollywood, it's time now for... Johnny Dollar... Streeter at Dr. Shepard's office. Yes? Dr. Shepard gave me your hotel number. He said you were to come in for a head x-ray. Let me talk to the doctor about that. Well, he's out on house calls right now, Mr. Dollar. He'll be back late this afternoon. He seemed very concerned over... He ought to be. A friend of his banged me on the head with a gun this morning. That's why the x-ray. Well, could you possibly come in and have it made? Doctor was most insistent. All right, Miss Streeter. I'll be right over. Tonight, and every weekday night, Bob Bailey and the transcribed adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to Richard Porter, 480 Webster Boulevard, Providence, Rhode Island. The following is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the Shepherd matter. Expense account item four, $1, cab fare, from my hotel to Richard Porter's office. Porter was sympathetic. You know, I feel very responsible for this, Mr. Dollar. I hired you to look into all oh, this. Oh, it'll go away, it'll go away. I've been hit on the head before. Hey, do you have anything to drink in here? Oh, sure, sure. <laughs> you never can tell when a snake will come up and bite you. Yeah, yeah here you are. Mm-hmm. Thanks. I suppose you came in to give me your expense sheet now that it's all settled. Not exactly, Mr. Porter. It isn't settled for me. Well, certainly you know I'll assume any medical expenses involved here. That no, I'm not talking in. about that, Mr. Porter. Sit down. <clears throat> now, look, there's something going on here, and we might as well have it out. You hired me to investigate a client who wanted to buy $80,000 worth of straight life insurance, right? Yes. Now, that client explained why he called for that insurance. Not to my satisfaction, but he explained it. He said a man named Paul Forbes had threatened his life. Threatened it because Dr. Shepard had advised Forbes' wife to get a divorce. I know you didn't believe this, but the facts now seem to bear it out. I went over to see Forbes this morning to talk to him about his threats. I managed to get my name out, and Forbes attacked me, so I got this. Then Forbes ran out. Mrs. Forbes and a servant in the house gave me first aid. All the time they were doing it, they were apologizing for Forbes and his violence. Finally, Dr. Shepard came in, called the police, and told them to pick up Forbes. And the police will pick him up if they haven't already, and Dr. Shepard will prefer charges... And that that won't be that, Mr. Porter. Not as far as I'm concerned. Dr. Shepard's story is still leaky. I'm sorry, but I think it has more credence than ever in view of what's happened. You told me yourself his wife and the servant admitted Forbes had threatened Dr. Shepard's life. Oh, I believe that part. But Shepard lies so much, you can get to believing him. What lies, for heaven's sake? Oh, for one thing, his reason for not calling the police right away. I mean, about how delicate Mrs. Forbes' condition was. She looked pretty healthy to me this morning. Another thing, he described Forbes as a man with homicidal tendencies. Now, Dr. Shepard's supposed to be an expert on behavior. And he thought that if I talked to Forbes, I might settle the matter peaceably. But Forbes attacked me as soon as I told him my name. I didn't get a chance to talk. Well, Dr. Shepard has no control He over felt For- pretty sure I could talk to Forbes. If you don't like that, let me go on. What reason did Forbes have to hit me? He didn't know me from a load of coal. Somebody put him up to it. Who? Well, who do you think? Shepard, for some reason? Shepard was the only one who knew I was going right over there. But why? I don't know. What would he gain? Uh, 
My business for an x-ray. Uh, yeah, you're joking now. I suppose I am, but I got a headache. I feel awful. Oh, here. Uh, how about Mrs. Forbes? Oh, here. Thanks. Oh, she seemed like a genuine enough person. Not sick the way I expected her to be. Someone slugged her recently. There was a bruise under one eye. Uh, Shepard said her husband was an erratic, ruthless, violent man. Well, look, I'm stubborn, Mr. Porter. I still think Shepard's been lying to me. If for no other reason, then I think I know the breed. What's all this got to do with the insurance application? Well, that's another thing I don't know. Expense account item five, three dollars, cab fare. To Dr. Shepard's one-story building to have my head x-rayed. Shepard was still out, but Miss Streeter did the honors. Almost in silence. Outside of sit still and hold it, nothing much was said. Well, the picture's okay, Mr. Dollar. I looked at it. I didn't see anything wrong. Of course, the doctor will call you when he's had a chance to see it. Swell. You must have got quite a blow. That's a nasty bruise you have. Oh, it's pretty good, all right. He swung his gun hard. Well, the doctor will be back about mid-afternoon. He can call you at your hotel? Yes. Well, thank you for coming in. I want to ask you a question, Miss Streeter. Yes? Are you in love with him? What? Are you in love with Dr. Shepard? Well, that's rather my own business, isn't it? Unless, of course, in your investigation of whatever you're investigating, for some reason I'm under your scrutiny. Well, I suppose it is, and I suppose I can take that to say yes. I'd become rather angry with you, Mr. Dollar, but frankly, you seem rather ridiculous. I suppose so. He's a liar, isn't he? I mean, Shepard. One more question. I told you on the phone a friend of Dr. Shepard's did this to my head. Now, did you ever ask me who that friend was? Oh, I think you'd be curious about a thing like that, Miss Streeter. I think I have a great deal of work to do, Mr. Dollar. Expense account item six, another three bucks, some more cab fare. This time, back to my hotel, where I picked up my rented car, filled it with gasoline, item seven, $5.30, and drove out to Pawtucket. At the home of Mrs. Clara Shepard, I explained my name and business to an elderly man who answered the door. He asked me to wait a moment, then returned and said Mrs. Shepard would see me. She was a bright-looking, gray-haired woman in her mid-sixties, elegantly groomed and obviously well cared for. We went through the politenesses, then got down to business. My son applied for $80,000 worth of life insurance and named me beneficiary. That's about it. <laughs> I wonder what he's up to. So do we. You mean, so do I. You don't trust anyone, do you, Mr. Dollar? He said his life had been threatened. He told me he wanted to make certain you were well taken care of in case anything happened to him. <laughs> he was lying, wasn't he? I haven't seen him, talked to him. Even had a Christmas card from him in three years. Maybe he does worry about his poor old mother now and then. I'm flattered. What you're saying about him isn't very flattering. Oh, I don't think Charles ever thought much of me as a mother. Still doesn't, I'm sorry to admit. But then I don't think too much of him as a son. So there we are. Is it too early for a cocktail, Mr. Dollar? How do you explain him already having a $20,000 policy on himself and wanting to kick it up to a hundred? You the beneficiary. No explanation. That's why I suggested a cocktail. To my friends here, Charles is a successful doctor in Providence who calls me faithfully every day, sends me gifts, and is always assured that I am well and happy and occupied in my old age. I guess I like you, Mr. Dollar, perhaps because, with all your gruffness, you might be nice to your mother. No, Charles and I aren't close. Never have been. I can tell you this. I don't need his closeness, at least not in a financial way. If Charles were to die and I received $100,000, it would mean a rather difficult Tuck's problem. If he were to die, part of me would die too. I'd like you to have just one martini with me. And then you may go, Mr. Dollar. I had the one martini with the tall, stately woman who struggled against tears. It was an old struggle with her, increasingly difficult, I guess, as the years kept on. We talked no more of his son or the insurance or the threat on his life. I left there about four o'clock in the afternoon. 
I drove back over to Providence and got to Dr. Shepard's office about a quarter to six. A broad-shouldered man in a tweed suit was in the reception room. He got to his feet when I walked in. Dr. Shepard? No. Don't I know you? Yeah, I was thinking the same. Wait a minute. Yeah, your name is uh, Dollar, your insurance investigator. Yeah, yeah. you're <laughs> Phil so... Crosby, yeah. Providence Police. <laughs> well, I met oh, you in New Hartford once. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know you were down here. Hey, you must be the one. This Dr. Shepard called downtown about a threat in his life and said an insurance investigator had been slugged trying to help him out of it. Yeah, that's right. Well, where is he? I don't know. I rang that buzzer there. There's no one around at all. What's this all about? Well, a man named Paul Forbes threatened the doctor's life. He slugged me. You got a pickup out on him yet? No, not yet. I'm trying to pin the doctor down all day long. Been out on house calls, emergencies, everything else. We have to get his signature on a complaint. Mm, I thought that was all taken care of by now. Uh, well, hello. Oh, hello. Hello, Mr. Dollar. Hello, Miss Streeter. This is Phil Crosby from the police department. Police? I'd like to see Dr. Shepard, miss. Is anything the matter? Just want to see him. Oh, well, goodness, he was here ten minutes ago. He sent me over to the pharmacy to pick up these things. Oh. What? Well, he had an emergency. 1213 Putnam Street. Got a note from him? Yes. Massey, please. There's no name on this, Miss Streeter. You recognize the address at all? No, I don't. Doctor wouldn't take a random emergency unless it were very unusual. This might be unusual, Phil. This is down by the water. How bad off do you think Forbes is? Mad, had a gun, plenty rough. I rode down in the police car with Phil Crosby. I had a feeling about the acuteness of that emergency. As a matter of fact, I had a feeling about the acuteness of everything that had happened that day from the time a half-crazed man had slugged me with a gun. The feeling was heavier than ever when we hit the neighborhood. Come on. All right. Wait. How what? 1213 Putnam Street. That'd have to be that vacant lot over there. This is 1240 here. The rest belongs to the warehouse. Yeah. Phil. Huh? That car empty on the plates. Yeah. Yeah, that's Dr. Shepard's car. Motor's still warm. Must be around here somewhere looking for the address. That's a dead end there. I better call in for some help. Fog's coming in if he's wandering around here. Yeah. Phil Crosby went off to find a telephone and request help. I stood by Dr. Shepard's car, waiting and listening and smoking. Nothing happened. No one cried out. No guns went off. Then Crosby drove up in the police car. Come on, report's in. A report was in, all right. We drove two blocks down the street where a small, curious crowd of people had already gathered in the cheerless fog. A uniformed man from the harbor division was standing over what appeared to be a bundle of clothes lying in a heap. We bent over it, and Phil looked up at me with a question mark. That Shepard, Johnny? Yeah, that's him. Yep, I'd say he's been dead less than half an hour. Johnny Dollar. Phil Crosby, Dollar. Were you in bed? No. Nope. Good. Put on your coat and come on downtown. Can't it wait till morning? Nope. Want me to send somebody out to pick you up? Are you talking about an arrest? I might be, Dollar. Whatever I have to do to keep you around. I'll make it under my own steam, pal. Fifteen minutes. Room 203 City Hall, okay? I may take 16 minutes if I feel like it. And maybe you'll need longer. I want a real good story about Paul Forbes. A better one than you've told so far. <laughs> Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to Richard Porter, 480 Webster Boulevard, Providence, Rhode Island. The following is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the Shepherd matter. Swindle sheet item 7, 10 cents, one newspaper. It carried the story of Dr. Shepard's murder and told how his life had been threatened by Paul Forbes earlier in the week. Obviously, Dr. Charles Shepard had been lured to his death by Forbes, who had telephoned him, pretended to need a physician, waited until the victim appeared, and then shot him down. The police had an APB out for Paul Forbes. All parties concerned were notified. 
The deceased was survived by his mother, Mrs. Clara Shepherd of Pawtucket. Amen. Come right in, Dollar. Sit down. There were about six people in Crosby's office, among them Richard Porter, who had hired me to investigate Shepard because of a suspicious insurance application. A uniformed officer from the Harbor Patrol who had discovered Shepard's body, and two other men from Crosby's staff. I told them how I had been hired, that I didn't believe all of Shepard's story about the threat on his life. I told them about Forbes slugging me for no apparent reason. I also mentioned the insurance matter had never been satisfactorily explained. Well, it's never going to be explained as far as I can see, Dollar. Oh, I'll find an explanation, Phil. You solve your murder and I'll do what I have We've to do. We've got it solved. All you have to do is pick up Forbes. You know that. I don't know anything. You get huffy with me on the phone and you start talking about arrest and I don't know anything. You said that when you went to see Shepard yesterday morning, he waved a gun at you, a 32. That's right. It wasn't on his body. He knew Forbes hadn't been picked up. His life was in as much danger as ever. Why didn't he carry the gun? You know, that's a pretty good question, Phil. Yeah. What else? He allegedly went out on an emergency call tonight. No little black bag in his car. No little black bag by his body. What doctor goes out on any call without his bag? Oh, I wouldn't let that worry me so much. I'd find out if it was an emergency. Or he knew who was going to meet him when he went out. I thought you might have some ideas. Have you talked to Mrs. Forbes? Of course I've talked to her. She hasn't any idea where her husband might be hiding. She's sure he killed Dr. Shepard. That servant in the house is sure. He told me about Shepard being threatened by Forbes. Shepard told you about being threatened. Forbes slugged you, slugged Mrs. Forbes. Been running around town like a madman all day. But everything you say and every way you say it, it comes out Shepard was lying. I did it on purpose. I wanted to worry you to death. Uh, well, every officer in this town has Forbes' description and the license of his car. We ought to get him before the night's out. He's the boy. Good luck, Phil. He was a good policeman with a lot of doubts. And he was mad about them. And that's what it generally takes to get matters straightened out. I found Kareem Streeter at the morgue, standing beside the marble slab on which a late employer had been laid. She looked pale and wan in her stiff white uniform and blue nurse's cape. Her eyes were red with tears, but no sound escaped her. Then she looked up at me once, sighed, and started out of the place. Wait. Oh, no. Well, I'd... I'd like to help you. I... Can you help him? No. No, you can't. No one can. I tried. Who did it? Well, the, the police say Paul Forbes shot him. It looks that way from all they can gather. Over Mrs. Forbes? Yes. Oh. They're looking for him, I suppose? Yes. Well, you're something of a policeman, Mr. Dollar. Why aren't you out helping them or something? Please, Miss Streeter, I know we've I'll had words. i that question you asked me earlier today. What? You asked me if I loved Dr. Shepard. Yes, Mr. Dollar, I loved him. I loved him more than my whole life. <laughs> when she said that, and for some reason I don't know... I had a feeling that I was hearing the first bit of unembroidered truth I'd heard in two days. It didn't make me feel any better, but it did clear up something that had been in the back of my mind working its way to the front. Expense account item eight, $6.70. A steak, three martinis, and an order of sliced tomatoes. I finished eating at 2.30 in the morning. I really didn't want it, but I did want to sit down and do some thinking. After that, I climbed into my rented car and drove out to Dr. Shepard's office building. Expense account item nine, five dollars even. Bribe for watchman. I shouldn't be doing this, you know. Might lose my job over it. But since you're from the insurance company, I guess you're all right. I sure appreciate it. Eh, too bad about Dr. Shepard. Nice fella. Yeah, very nice. What is it you think you'll find? Police been here till almost an hour ago, poking around. Do you know if they found anything? Oh, sure. Doctor's emergency kit. Heard him say he didn't take it with him when he went out in that last emergency. Uh-huh. Well, I won't be long. Oh, I'm going to come right in and watch you. Shepard had been a thorough man, and from all evidence, he and Miss Streeter kept and operated an efficient file system in the office. However, he had kept no medical history of his prime patient, Pauline Forbes. As a matter of fact, in checking over both the patient's files and the card files, there was no evidence to indicate that Mrs. Forbes had ever been a patient of Shepard's. Which seems strange in view of the fact that he told me he treated her for 14 months or better and ended the treatment by advising her to divorce her husband. What's more, he had never mentioned that Paul Forbes had been one of his patients. 
But an entry dated some two years before disclosed the fact that Dr. Shepard had examined, treated, and discharged Paul Forbes as a patient. These two developments supplied me with all of the curiosity I'd need for a while. Nurse Corrine Streeter's home address was duly noted on Dr. Shepard's phone book. Oakdale House, surprisingly enough, on Oakdale Street. Special rates for nurses. Room 205. Yes? Oh, Mr. Dollar. How do you feel? Not too good, Mr. Dollar. I only got home about 15 minutes ago. They kept me down there pretty long. Then Dr. Shepard's mother came. Do you want to come in? Yeah, thanks. It isn't much of a place, is it? I mean, I haven't straight... Well, things, things like tonight aren't easy, I know, but... Look, Miss Streeter, I wish you'd help me and tell me who Dr. Shepard was intending to marry. Marry? Oh, I had no idea. I was in the office a half an hour ago. He'd already made arrangements for a honeymoon, reservations on the Ile de France for next June. Any ideas? Please go. I can't. Look, I'm not here to hurt you. I'm here to help. I mean, was it Mrs. Forbes? What? Look, Miss Streeter, things are all wrong about your doctor's death, about what happened before it. It'll all come out sooner or later. Oh, I suppose it will. It's awful to say this, Mr. Dollar, but Mrs. Forbes was the only person doctors saw socially this last year. And she, of course, is married. How'd they meet? When her husband was Dr. Shepard's patient? Yes, that's right. They became quite friendly. Mrs. Forbes was never a patient, but Mr. Forbes was. Now, what can you tell me about Mr. Forbes? Well, he came to see Dr. Shepard a year or two ago and stopped coming in. I believe he requested a copy of his medical history to be sent to another doctor in... Baltimore, I think it was. Uh-huh. But Dr. Shepard kept right on seeing Mrs. Forbes. Yes. Huh? All right. Do you have any idea why I was called in by the insurance broker? At first, I didn't. But I, I don't understand what you're trying to do. The police want Mr. Forbes. What does it all mean? <sighs> It'll sicken you, Miss Well, tell me if you know. Tell me, please. It means the wrong man was killed tonight. I was pretty sure of what I meant when I said that. And I was also pretty sure that Phil Crosby and the police department had recognized the setup. It so happened I had a head start in the way of information. And though it was six o'clock in the morning by that time, I decided to use it. Mr. Dollar. Hello, Mrs. Forbes. I'd like to come in. What is it? I should have tumbled to it right away, but your husband fit the part too well. Look here. I've been through quite enough today with the police and all out looking for Paul and Dr. Shepard being killed. Stop I... looking pained and tired. I'm the guy that's tired. I'm the one who was going to be the star witness when the state tried Shepard for killing your husband. What? Why not get a star witness for free? Why not make a suspicious insurance move so an investigator would be called in? An investigator who'd back up a self-defense plea for your doctor and get him off on justifiable homicide. Get out of here. Get out of here. I'll call the police. And you and the doctor sail to France in June and live happily ever after? What's the matter? Wouldn't your husband give you a divorce? Go ahead. If you say it's that way, Mr. Dollar, and you know everything, then it must have been that way. Only it got fouled up. Your husband did shoot your boyfriend after all, just as he threatened to. Get out of here! You can't prove any of it. Not one word of it. Oh, you're right about that, Mrs. Forbes. I can't prove anything. Not a thing. Shepard's dead, and they want your husband for it. He threatened Shepard. And they'll get him for it, and that's that. But you have something to live with for the rest of your life. Your doctor's gone. He'll never come back. Or maybe you can just have a cup of coffee and forget all about it. Get out! Get out! Leave me alone! Leave me alone! What? Yeah, that's it, Phil. That's what was supposed to happen. Shepard had it planted all over town how Forbes had threatened his life. He had witnesses. He had me, even. All he had to do was go out and shoot Forbes any place, any time. But Forbes got him first. Can people get by with this kind of thing in our courts of law? If and when you get your hands on Paul Forbes, will he have any kind of defense? Oh, he'll get him, Dollar. The other I can't answer. What you just told me can't be proven. I don't see how a lawyer can do much for a guy who threatens another man's life and then finally guns him down, do you? But it was Forbes who was the marked man all this time. He was supposed to die. If it could be proved that Forbes was a patsy, that the doctor intended to gun him down... Up to the judge and jury, Johnny. When we get Forbes, he'll be arraigned and indicted for first-degree murder. Don't worry about that part. The rest is up to the court, out of our hands. After all, we're pretty sure Forbes shot and killed Dr. Shepard. Hang up that phone, Dollar. You still on the wire, Johnny? Hang it up or I'll blow your head off. 
Paul Forbes looked the part of a fugitive. His coat was ripped in several places. The knuckles on his left hand were torn and raw. There was mud on his shoes and pant legs. His eyes told the rest of the story. He was blazing mad. He had a gun. And he wasn't afraid to use it. Johnny Dollar. This is the hotel operator, Mr. Dollar. Will you cut off? I, uh... Don't tell him not to let any more calls in here. Come on! I was cut off, but I'd rather get some sleep now. Anybody phones, just take a message. All right, Mr. Dollar. Over there. Sit down. Put your hands on your knees. Now, just so as you and I understand each other. You make one move... Wiggle a finger, I'll empty this gun right in your stomach. You understand me? I understand you, Forbes. You're crazy. Tonight, and every weekday night, Bob Bailey and the transcribed adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to Richard Porter, 480 Webster Boulevard, Providence, Rhode Island. The following is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the Shepherd matter. I was pretty sick of it and with it when I had Paul Forbes visit me in my hotel room about 7 o'clock in the morning. He'd used a gun in front of me once before to crack my skull. I decided I'd try to avoid that again. So I sat down and I played good. It didn't seem to please him a bit. You were out to my house about an hour ago, weren't you? Yeah, I went out to talk to your wife. Yeah, I saw you. I was across the street watching. I followed you here. Fixing up another deal, huh? I don't know what you're talking about, Forbes. I followed you here so we could have a little talk. And we're going to have it, you and I. You ought to put that gun away and let them take you, Forbes. Where do you live? In Hartford, Connecticut. I mean, where do you live in town here in Providence? I don't. I live in Hartford. Where do you practice? Practice what? Are you trying to get funny with me? I don't practice anything here in Providence. I don't live here. I'm just here for a few days. Doing what? Working on an insurance matter. Insurance matter? You're licensed to practice law in Rhode Island? Oh, you've got something all wrong, Forbes. I don't practice law. I'm not a lawyer. I'm an insurance investigator. I tried to tell you that yesterday morning when you cracked me with that gun. I was called in by Dr. Shepard. He said you threatened his life. You're lying to me. Shepard called me yesterday morning and said a lawyer named Dollar was on his way over to talk to me about getting Pauline a divorce. You're a lawyer! I'm what I say I am. If you hadn't started swinging that gun butt around, I'd have told you why I was there yesterday. You got a billfold or something? My coat pocket inside on the back of that chair there. I think I know why Shepard called you and told you I was a lawyer. I think he wanted you to attack me and make me Shut a... Shut up! You and Shepard are trying to pull something to take my wife away from me. I know that much. And now you're trying to pull something to get out of this jam. You're wrong, Forbes. I don't know anything about trying to take your wife away from you. You know I didn't kill Shepard. How do I know you didn't kill him? You threatened him. Half a dozen people have attested to that. I know you had a reason to kill him. I know every time I've seen you, you've had a gun in your hands and you've been swinging it at somebody, particularly me. You know who did it. You're in on it somewhere, you know who killed Shepard, and you're going to clear me. You're going to tell me, Dollar. I'm going to whip it out of you. You crazy goose! All right. Get on your feet. He sat in the chair just the way I propped him there. His eyes looked dull and lifeless, as though he were already dead. I couldn't think of anything brilliant to say or do, so I rummaged around my suitcase and pulled out a bottle. Then I found a pair of glasses in the bathroom and poured a couple of drinks. When I came on out, he hadn't moved from the chair. He looked crumpled like a worn-out suit of clothes. He made no effort to look at me when I tucked the glass in his hand. Here, try this. Huh? Go on, go on, drink it. Why don't you call the police? Now you say you followed me here to have a talk and find out what's what. Now's the time to talk, pal. 
This thing isn't the best conversation piece in the world. Leave me alone. Call him in. You have something going for you here. This gun hasn't been fired. Do you have another one? No. No. Dollar, I didn't kill Dr. Shepard. I wanted to more than anything in the world. But I didn't kill him. Now, look, I want some facts. So let's start with last night. Where were you when Shepard was shot? How do I know where I was? I... Uh... I don't even know what time he was shot. All right, let's start with yesterday morning. You slugged me, ran out of the house, jumped in the car, and what happened? Go on, take it from there. I drove over to Dr. Shepard's office. I was going to have it out with him. He was breaking up my home. Well, go on. Did you see him? No. I parked down the street from his office, and then I saw him jump in his car, and I followed him. He came back over here. I knew my wife must have called him to take care of you. What happened then? I went over to the park and... sat and tried to figure things out. You don't know what I've been through this past year. All right, go on, go on. Then I went to a bar. I was hungry. I hadn't eaten all day. I got a couple of sandwiches and then I had some drinks. I don't know how many. Anyhow, the, the more I drank... The more hopeless everything looked. Did you call Shepard? Yeah. Yeah, I, I called him from the bar. Any idea what time it was? Must have been around five or six. What difference does it all make? I'm cooked and you know it. Go on, will you? You called Shepard. Then what did you do? I told him I wanted to talk to him about everything that had happened. I told him where to meet me. You mean you wanted Dr. Shepard to come down and meet you so you could kill him? Maybe I did have that in my mind. I don't know. On the phone, he sounded so calm and said we could talk it out and straighten it out like gentlemen. Did you talk to him? No. I didn't see him at all. I waited an hour and he never showed up. I called his office back and the answering service said everyone had gone out for the day and I, I didn't know what to do. I got back in my car and turned on the radio and that's where I heard I was wanted for murder. Dollar, I didn't do it. I swear I didn't. I had reason enough, but I didn't. I knew all about the others, but this was wait serious. Minute, wait a minute, what others? Pauline's always had other friends. <laughs> friends. I, I guess... I don't, I, don't, I don't guess I love her anymore. I don't know. I don't think she ever loved me. But I needed her. I needed her more than anything this last year or so. And at times, I, I did love her the way it once was. And I found out what was going on between her and Shepard. She wanted a divorce. I wouldn't give her a divorce. If I had let her and Shepard get away with it, it would have been too much to take, to ask. Oh, this doesn't make sense. Even though you didn't love her and she didn't love you, you wouldn't stand still for a divorce action? It sounds stupid. I just told you. I needed her so much this last year or so. So much. Still doesn't make any sense, Forbes. Why didn't you let her go? She knew she didn't have to divorce me. She knew it wouldn't be too long. What? Shepard gave me a year. Another doctor in Baltimore, 18 months. Leukemia. Don't you see? She would have been free. They could have waited until I was dead at least. Just that until I was dead. Couldn't they? Well, couldn't they? Expense account item 10, $2, sleeping pills. I fed them to him along with a cup of hot chocolate. He looked pretty worn out, and within 15 minutes he was sound asleep in my bed. Item 11, $4.16, one long-distance phone call to a Baltimore clinic where I spoke with a Dr. Franz Mueller. Dr. Mueller confirmed what Forbes had said. Forbes was doomed with an incurable ailment. Item 12.20 cents, another phone call. This one from the hotel lobby to the coroner's office. I learned that Shepard had been killed by 32 caliber slugs. Forbes' gun, a 32, had not been fired or hastily cleaned. His story was checking out. That left just one small item to be cleared up. Expense account item 13, $4. Taxi fare from my hotel back to the Oakdale home. Special rates for nurses. Hello. I thought you'd be back to see me. Somehow I'm 
Glad it's you, Mr. Dollar. Go ahead. That's an old story. Terribly old and corny. I applied for a job as Dr. Shepard's nurse five years ago, and I fell in love with him that very day. I've loved him every day from that time on. Five years. Go on. I don't know when it was when he started up with Mrs. Forbes. I knew she was trying to get a divorce. I knew Mr. Forbes wouldn't stand for it. Then one day, last week I guess it was, I heard Doctor talking to her on the phone. He said, there's a way to get rid of him. I knew he was talking about getting rid of Mr. Forbes. Did they discuss the part about Shepard getting Forbes to threaten his life in front of witnesses so he could shoot him down when the time came? No, I didn't know that until yesterday morning. So long ago, it seems. You came to see Doctor, and then you left. I overheard him on the phone again. He called up Mr. Forbes and said Mr. Dollar was coming over to talk about the divorce action. And he knew Forbes would be upset enough to attack me. Doctor was very good about anticipating what people would do in given situations. Even me. I was in the office when Mr. Forbes called last night. I saw a doctor put the gun in his coat. I knew he was going down to meet Mr. Forbes and shoot him. So I followed him. He was walking around in the dark looking for Mr. Forbes with a gun in his hand. I ran up to him and pleaded with him not to be crazy. That Mrs. Forbes wasn't worth it. Then he said he was going to kill me too. We struggled... The gun went off. I don't know how many times. I can help you, Corinne. You didn't mean to kill him. He meant to shoot you. When all these other details come out, the most they can charge you with is second-degree justifiable or manslaughter. No. You're nice. But I can't get off. Huh? I guess the police haven't found her yet. I went over and killed Mrs. Forbes an hour ago. Expense account item 14, same as item 1. Transportation back to Hartford. The next time you have a doubtful insurance application, Mr. Porter, settle it yourself or call someone else. Don't call me. As far as I can add up, and I'm not going to recheck the figures, expense account total is $485. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Now, here's our star to tell you about next week's intriguing story. Next week, the case of a lonely heart that found plenty of company in the nearest morgue. Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, starring Bob Bailey, is transcribed in Hollywood. Written by John Dawson, it is produced and directed by Jack Johnstone. Heard in this week's cast were Gene Bates... Virginia Gregg, Russell Thorson, Parley Bear, Herb Ellis, Barney Phillips, and Lawrence Dobkin. Musical supervision by Amerigo Marino. Be sure to join us on Monday night, same time and station, for another exciting story of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, Roy Rowan speaking.
Welcome back. Now, after all I said on Tuesday about how either way this was a bad insurance risk, I was somewhat dumbfounded that Porter was still wanting to go ahead with the policy. It was like, well, it's all resolved. Makes perfect sense. This guy is saying that an unstable person with a gun is threatening his life and that person is at large. I can see no reason why I wouldn't want to just go ahead and write a policy. So I really don't get that reasoning. But beyond that, I think that this was a really solid episode with a good mystery and quite a few plot twists along the way, as well as some really solid dramatic moments. Of course, this really does have a tragic ending. It was based on the 1952 episode, The James Clayton Matter, and during the O'Brien era, and I think the early part of the Lund era, there were a lot of episodes that had these sort of endings. I think it has more impact here, and it calls to mind a sort of discussion or dialogue of sorts going on on uh, YouTube. Recently, uh, a gentleman from Ireland has been going through the uh, Johnny Dollar half-hour episodes and posting his uh, comments, and they're fascinating, really interesting perspective, certainly coming at it differently than many folks in the States do. And one thing he, he contends is that the serials are not better than the self-contained stories. From his perspective, and I think it's a perfectly valid perspective, he remembers the plot to the half-hour episode and gets to hear the same mystery play out over like an hour and ten minutes that played out just as well over 26 or 27 minutes. But to me, I think that what makes the serial special is that the length really gives them space to develop the characters and make the story feel more three-dimensional. A great example of that was in episode three and the visit to Dr. Shepard's mother. Now, from a strict mystery perspective, in terms of that plot, that was completely unnecessary. There were no clues gathered, and she didn't know anything about the case. But not only was that a great scene, beautifully performed, and quite moving, it told us about character. It told us something about Johnny, the way that he sat there, had a drink with her, spent a little time with her, and left with no further discussion of the case. And of course it told us something about Dr. Shepard and his character. If you take that into account, that we learned that he plotted the death of a terminally ill ex-patient so that he could marry the widow a little bit earlier... That seems less far-fetched when you consider how uh, Dr. Shepard treated his own mother. Well, listener comments and feedback now, and we have some comments uh, regarding the Lamar matter. We start with Ronser writing over on YouTube, and uh, he writes, Love hearing George and Brooksy together. Oops, wrong show. Well, thanks for the comment. Of course, that references the fact that Bob Bailey and Virginia Gregg were starred on Let George Do It with Bob Bailey as George Valentine. And while Virginia Gregg was not the first actress to play Brooksy, she was on there the longest. Uh, I believe uh, she was there from 49 to 53. And I think that that may be part of the reason why she and Bailey really work well together on Johnny Dollar. They have that history of working together every week for so many years, that really strong performance chemistry. Another listener writes, if anyone was wondering, the policy was $1.5 million in 1956, and today that policy would be worth $17.1 million. Thank you. And uh, then we turn to Spotify, where Stephen writes, always liked Johnny Dollar, and this one did not disappoint. And finally, we have an email from George who writes, Hi, Adam. I wanted to add a comment to your recent spot-on remarks following the Lamar episodes. 
thanks to your program, Johnny Dollar has become one of my favorite old radio shows, especially those with Bob Bailey. That doesn't mean I don't have a nit or two to pick now and then, and the Lamar matter was a classic example of both the strength and weakness in the show. Bob Bailey did his usual excellent job in humanizing his character as he struggled to balance personal feelings with his professional responsibilities in the case. Yet he once again fell prey to one of his almost teenage-like crushes with a female in the case, falling hard and fast. The immediate tip-off, of course, is the female character speaking in exaggerated and breathy voice, purring, Johnny. You can almost picture him melting on the spot. Works every time, even if, as often, uh, the case with the usually too young widow or uh, some old dead policyholder. I guess this panting delivery was considered sexy and alluring at the time. Perhaps you had to use your own imagination, but today it's almost laughable, even with the fine acting of a Virginia Gregg. Anyway, I still love the show, and thank you again for bringing all of this fine programming for us to enjoy. Well, thanks for the comment, George. And I, I think it's an interesting point. The Lamar matter, I think, is a little bit different than some of the other cases in that he met Vonnie before he took the case and so had pre-existing feelings for her and perhaps those developed after a lot of overwork and the end to the Jolly Roger fraud uh, matter, which had been kind of unpleasant. I think it was more of a challenge in that regard than is typical. There is, I think, a pattern of him falling for women in cases, but I think that he does tend to be a little bit more careful about how hard he falls while he's investigating a case, knowing uh, that as soon as he meets a particular woman that she may be involved in something that he's investigating. And there are, of course, plenty of cases where he doesn't fall for the woman, because such as in the Quaybono Manor or the Lorco Diamonds Manor. It honestly suggests, like, a bit of a conflicted uh, personality for Johnny. Because at times, it seems like he's a perfectly contented bachelor. But then he'll have other times where there'll be some wistfulness and some slight moment of wondering what might have been. A classic example of that is in the Nick Shurn matter, where he finds himself wondering what would it be like to be married and to have a child. At the same time, he doesn't really believe it's a good idea for an investigator to have a wife because he's seen too many cases of things going wrong in the relationship or the investigator dying and leaving behind a widow. So he doesn't want to do that. And he also loves his career. He's got this conflict, which doesn't come up quite a bit. I think it would be a lot less interesting if it did. But I think Johnny is a bit lonely at his core. And that can be a weakness in some investigations. And a challenge that he deals with. I totally see what you're saying, George, but to me, it does make him more interesting as a character. The Johnny thing is interesting in terms of its being this line that uh, the Virginia Gregg's characters always try out when they are trying to seduce him. I would welcome additional feedback. I, I, I think that, one, I wonder how much of that would be the writers, that they've heard Virginia Gregg do that, as other characters are like, oh, Virginia Gregg is playing the femme fatale or innocent woman who actually just takes a romantic interest in Johnny. Let's go ahead and write that line. It's kind of an audio way to reflect that sort of attraction and interest. And it is a challenge over radio because honestly, you know, I've seen films where performers can say a lot with a look. A bit more limited on radio. You also don't want to get, you know, too sultry. So it's kind of a fine balance. 
Now it's time to thank our Patreon supporters of the day. And as this is the first Friday in September, we will be thanking all of those Patreon supporters who have been supporting us five years this month. So I want to go ahead and thank Julie, currently supporting us at the Detective Sergeant level of $7.14 or more per month. Talia, currently supporting us at the Shamus level of $4 or more per month. And Kelly, currently supporting us at the Rookie level of $2 or more per month. Again, thank you so much for your support for five years. It's really and truly appreciated. And that will actually do it for today. If you are enjoying this podcast, I encourage you to follow us using your favorite podcast software. And if you are enjoying this podcast on YouTube, be sure to like the video, subscribe to the channel, and mark the notification bell. We'll be back on Tuesday with another Yours Truly Johnny Dollar serial. But join us back here tomorrow for Dragnet, where... I was telling these cops, uh, or these officers, sir... I was walking up 8th Street on my way home as usual when I see this blue Chevy sedan pull up down a block there a little way and dump out the dame's body. Well, actually, I, I don't know what to think. Did you get a look at the license plate? Well, well, no, I didn't. Tell you the truth, I could hardly keep from... Well, I was just plain scared. Mm-hmm. What did you do after you saw him throw the body out, son? Well, I just stood there for a minute and the fellow in the car drove right on past me. Did you get a look at him? I sure did. How close were you when he drove past? Well, now... Couldn't have been more than, well, eight or ten feet away. Uh, I was right over there by the street light near the curb. Would you know this man if you saw him again? I don't know about his height or his build or his weight, but, mister, his face I'll never forget. Why do you say that? It was just like the paper says about him. Right, right here on the front page. Here, read it. See? Woman says attacker looked like werewolf. I hope you'll be with us then. In the meantime, do send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.